When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am very ready. Let's go! All right, let's give it a whirl! Okay, and I just want to say hello, everybody. I'm really excited about doing the episode this week because now I actually have some names of people who have been contacting me and messaging me regarding having their charts done or just the show in general because they have my email address now. And it's so fun. Please message me. I love hearing from you. Uh, yes, uh, we are just overjoyed at the uh, warm support that we have uh, gotten from all of you uh, who have, uh, if you know us in our personal lives, have reached out to us and talked to us about the podcast. If uh, you're just out there in the world and have uh, taken the time to send a message out to us, uh, that is always uh, something that we appreciate a lot. And uh we have uh, quite a little bit of uh, it was surprising news to me um that uh, we actually found uh through the Apple podcast rankings that history in retrograde is the 117th most popular educational podcast in the Republic of Ireland. Uh, Yay, that's so, so awesome. That, that is uh, really just bowled us over. Um, we are uh, so uh, happy to everyone who's listening all across the country and the world. But uh, uh, for those of you, our, our Finian uh, brothers and sisters, uh, we are uh, uh, very uh, happy that you have uh, embraced our uh, little experiment here and uh, look forward to uh, future <laughs> uh, uh, support uh, from everyone. So thank you all so very much. Thank you. Hello to all of our cousins in Ireland. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, for those of you uh, who uh, have not been listening all this time and have just stumbled upon here in the middle of season two, we give you a warm welcome as well. Uh, so uh, the way that we do things on the podcast is that uh, in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure uh, to my mother. Uh, now, uh, you, the listening audience, already know who this mystery history guest is. It is in the title of today's episode. I, of course, know who it is because I selected the historical figure. But, Mom, do you have any idea who we're talking about today? No, I never know what we're doing. And it is the worst because everyone else knows what's happening in, except me. Uh, it is the worst <laughs> for you, but the best for everyone else. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I will give her the uh, data necessary to create an astrological birth chart. That is the birth date, time, and location of this mystery history guest. She will input that into the bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all of the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment this person was born. Uh, Mom will then do her very best uh, to give us a blind reading of uh, this uh, mystery history guest and uh, what all of these stars and planets mean. Uh, for uh, the personality traits, the character motivations, the fortunes of this person. Uh, I will ask a few discussion questions and then reveal to her who our mystery history guest is, and then uh, do, give a little uh, background about the person, and then we'll come together at the end and determine uh, how accurate the chart was at predicting who that person would be. Uh, so without any further ado, let us begin. Okay. This is a male. All right. Born on the 19th of March, 1860. All right. Uh, We have a birth time, and it (gasps) is uh, 9.15 a.m. Oh, that's so good. All right. And where? Uh, The United States. Mm-hmm. Salem, Illinois. Okay. So again, this is a male born on March 19th, 1860, 915 a.m. in Salem, Illinois. All right. Okay, so I want to start by... um letting our listeners know that I am recovering from a bout of allergies. And so my voice might go in and out today, and I apologize for that, but I'm doing my best. Um, Interesting. Okay. Wow. All right. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well. Uh, let's just start with um, reading out the planets and the houses. Well, we'll just do the planets first. Okay, so we have an ascendant. The rising sign is six degrees Gemini. Okay, then we have sun at 29 degrees Pisces. We have moon at 27 degrees Aquarius. Mercury at 16 degrees Aries. Venus at nine degrees Taurus. Mars at 28 degrees Sag, Jupiter at 15 degrees Cancer, Saturn at 20 degrees Leo, Uranus at 4 degrees Gemini, 
Neptune at 26 degrees Pisces, Pluto at 7 degrees Taurus, North Node at 10 degrees Aquarius, and Chiron at 25 degrees Aquarius. Okay. Wow. So, all right. Uh, I'm going to go back and I'm going to start with North Node for this person. All right. And this person has North Node in Aquarius at 10 degrees in the ninth house. The ninth house is the house, uh, it's ruled by uh, Sagittarius, which is ruled by Jupiter, which is philosophy, higher education, world travel, um, um, dogma, religion, uh, all of these kind of esoteric ideas. And this person has North Node in Aquarius in this house. So this person, their passion, their direction, their, um, what they should be working on if they are working on their North Node, which is what we should all be working on. We came in with the knowledge of our South Node. And in this lifetime, we are working on the new thing, which is our, our North Node. It's what our North Node represents. And this would be humanitarian things. This would be technology. This would be groups of people. Uh, it could be teaching groups of people. It could be um, creating groups of people. It could be... Uh, educating groups of people. It could be a preacher or a priest or someone who leads uh, religious groups, things along that line. It's very specific if this is the correct time of birth that this person has um, this important direction in their life. Okay. Now we'll go back to uh, the six degrees Gemini rising, which would make this person very talkative, very, um, able to speak well, very capable of putting words together and, um, understanding, uh, quickly. Uh, this person would seem to have a very quick mind. This person could seem to be, um, funny, like uh, with Gemini Rising, it could be a uh, comedy, it could be someone who has a natural comedic ability. Uh, Geminis and Sagittarius are known for being very funny. Also Capricorns, unusually enough, are known for being very funny. Um, but the Capricorns are more sarcastic. But um, still, their comedy is very well known. So second house is uh, cancer. And this person has Jupiter there at 15 degrees in the second house. So with Jupiter in the second house, this person should have been, um, lucky with money and material things and values and things that they found valuable, more things that they found valuable, things that you earn, 
And with Jupiter there in Cancer, it's a very nurturing kind of mothery Jupiter because Jupiter makes everything bigger. So this would be somehow Jupiter and Cancer is nurturing. I'm giving you all the good sides of things. Uh, the downside could be that Jupiter could be very cranky. <laughs> Jupiter and Cancer could be crotchety, <laughs> like Mr. Crab <laughs> from SpongeBob. But, uh, and also <laughs> Jupiter and Cancer that, that could be, um, Cancer people can be very attached to their material things, like a collection, you know, that they keep inside their shelves. So that's kind of a, the shadow side. Um, here, we have this second house cusp is very interesting because I think this person has an interception of uh, Cancer and Capricorn, probably. It's just so tight. See this right here, Chandler? See how tight that is to that? Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is the... Uh, house cusp, right, of Cancer. And it appears to be just inside of this. So barely, barely uh, second house Cancer, okay? But here, this third house cusp is definitely Cancer, all right? Because we're still inside here. So we do have an interception for Cancer Capricorn. And uh, so this third house is also ruled by Cancer, but there's nothing in it. Uh, very interesting. So third house ruled by cancer also is kind of nurturing childhood siblings, uh, early education, elementary school, um, communications, writing. Um, well, what about these things? Well, this person has their third house is cancer as well as their second house. Okay. So they would have cancerian aspects to them. Okay. Um, so, uh, nurturing, um, motherly, uh, having to do with community, you know, third house is ruled by Gemini, which is Mercury, which is communications and everything that has to do with communications. And this person has a nurturing way about them with their communications or they should. Okay. And then we have fourth house cusp is Leo and we have Saturn at 20 degrees in the fourth house in Leo which would be dramatic household. Um, this person could have that kind of over-the-top uh, style of home. Um, they do have Saturn there, which is the planet of lessons and learning and teaching. So there's some lessons to be learned with regard to the home, the community, the house, the country, um, fourth house is actually ruled by cancer, which is ruled by the moon, which is mother. Uh, this person could have had an older mother. This person could have had a, 
um, I mean, but Saturn is technically male, so uh, masculine could have had an older father. Uh, either way, it's lessons with Leo themes, children, and um, uh, maybe even entertainment in some way, but definitely Leo themes, uh, um, leadership, things around the home, the country, the lessons are there. Or this is person ended up being a teacher of these lessons. Uh, fifth house cusp is Virgo. And uh, there's nothing in the fifth house, but the fifth house would be um, your approach to romance, children, uh, hobbies, um, things that you enjoy, entertainment. And having Virgo there would mean that this person would be very organized with the way that they approach all of those things. Uh then we have sixth house cusp is Libra and there's nothing in the sixth house, but this person has, um, a very interesting way of approaching their work. Um, because sixth house is work. It's also health. Uh, this person could have had health issues perhaps, this person could have also used um, alternative uh, ways of healing because of uh, having this Scorpio here. See how we move from Libra to Scorpio because I use the Placidus house system. But do you see how all of this Scorpio resides inside of this sixth house? Mm -hmm. Every bit of it. So that's because we have an interception over here. Okay. And so we do not have a house cusp that is ruled by Scorpio. We just have this Scorpio energy within this sixth house because, uh, we skip Scorpio for the seventh house and we go straight to Sag. Sagittarius is on their, um, seventh house cusp and they have, uh, Mars. At 28 degrees, Sagittarius in the seventh house, which would have made them um, driven with partnerships, uh, kind of cavalier in their romantic approaches. Um, Mars in Sagittarius is a fire sign. It's very gregarious. It's very, um, having Mars and Sagittarius could make you very, uh, appealing. Uh, they could be very appealing to, uh, romantic partners. They could be very knightly, like, you know, uh, like a knight and be, um, you know, really, Mm, really appealing, really, really, uh, like, like, like fairy tale romance kind of person. Or <laughs> downside of Sagittarius, <laughs> they could be very, um, whatever, dude, and just ride away. <laughs> Cause Sagittarius can be very, uh, like they just, you know, 
they'll just drop something and walk away from it or, or just ride away. Like, Oh, well, that was fun. Bye-bye. You know what I mean? So there's that. That's the downside of it. Um, okay. And then we have, uh, Capricorn on the eighth house with no planets there, but Capricorn in the eighth house could be very lucrative. It could be, uh, very good with inheritances and, um, also hidden, maybe hidden things regarding money or work, something along that line. Then we have ninth house cusp is Aquarius. And we've already talked about the North node in there. 10th house cusp is ninth house cusp. That's not true. Ninth house cusp is Capricorn with the North node in Aquarius. 10th house cusp is Aquarius. And we have moon conjunct Chiron within two degrees of each other. Do you see this Chandler? Mm -hmm. Something to do with the mother or women or wounds involving women wounds involving the mother uh women in the career uh and it is in aquarius all of this conjunct this north node by sign not by degree but moon conjunct chiron that could be ouchy that could hurt um, something that you have to overcome with your emotions and it has, and it's Aquarius. So moon in Aquarius is like moon in Capricorn, moon in Virgo, moon in Gemini. It's, it's a difficult placement for where you have your emotions and how you deal with your emotions, you know, because Aquarians want to be very logical. Capricorns want to be very logical, uh, Virgos want to be very organized and Geminis just want to be mm, kind of free and easy with everything. So those placements for moon and Venuses are, are, are not the deep, you know, intense, like, um, romantic ideas of emotion. This is more, uh, a love of, work and career involving groups of people or innovative ideas, um, technology in the career groups of people somehow, but I feel like it has to do with this North node in the ninth house, which is people who could be like evangelical preachers or, um, philosophical leaders of some kind. Okay. Then we go to uh, 11th house cusp, which is Pisces. And here we have the sun at 29 degrees, which is a very interesting placement for the sun because it 29 degrees is the last degree of Pisces. So this person actually has some fire from this Mars. I mean, from this... Uh, Aries, okay? Mars rules Aries. But this person has fire from here. Not just this dreamy, um, illusion, um, imagination of the Pisces. Even though this person has 
by degree, Sun conjunct Neptune in Pisces, they still have this Sun at 29 degrees Pisces, which is going to give it some Aries traits. Uh, I feel like somehow this person is capable of utilizing this Neptunian energy with regard to groups of people. Like this person can mesmerize groups of people or use their imagination to influence groups of people. And it has to do with how they speak to them because their Mercury in Aries is also here in the 11th house. Mercury in Aries would make this person uh, a fire talker. Like they can get straight to the point and they can energize people and motivate them to do things that they want them to do or that they feel would be beneficial for them or lead people somehow with their words. Um, then 12th house cusp here is um, Aries. Okay. And uh, we have in the 12th house, Pluto conjunct Venus within two degrees of each other in Taurus. Pluto conjunct Venus. Wow. That is very powerful. Um, that's a lot of power for Venus in the 12th house. There's some kind of karma with power and maybe, um, like ro romantic relationships or uh, even um, even material things. There's something there with there's power or death and rebirth with romantic relationships. But however you, you look, however you want to look at it, it's powerful and it has to do with the Venus, these two being conjunct. That's a very interesting conjunction it could be that this person has karma with material things and and is very wealthy maybe very powerful then the last planet that we haven't looked at is uranus and uranus is in uh gemini at four degrees uranus and it's it's also in that 12th house we have pluto and uranus and venus in the 12th house it's just that this is, this Uranus is in Gemini. So, um, this has to do with communications and karma with communications and, um, unexpected information, karmic, unexpected information, like lightning bolts of communication, somehow changing things karmically. Is any of this making any sense? Yes. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> um, yeah, so this person does not have a house cusp that is uh, Scorpio, and they also do not have a house cusp that is Taurus, you see? 
-hmm. because of the way these placidus houses come up, uh, they have an interception. So even though this person has Pluto and Venus in Taurus, um, they don't have that house cusp of Taurus. So somehow this energy is sort of weirdly misplaced because it doesn't have its own house, if that makes any sense. Um, this energy is going to pull from this first house energy. So, so you're saying that the Pluto and Venus has a misplaced energy. Yes, it hasn't. So you don't have any, any planets in this house. See, because we only have, uh, 30 degrees per house. And because there's an interception in this chart, because of the way it's laid out with Placidus houses, which is part of the reason I like to do Placidus houses is because you can see interceptions. And what is an interception? An interception is when your houses fall and you are like, you don't have a house cusp in, in two signs. All right. So like what's going on. Two signs are not ruling. Two, two signs are not ruling a house. Okay. You, you do not have, you have Libra on the sixth house. And even though this is where Scorpio belongs, mm-hmm. right? Because of the house, the way the houses are laid out, uh, we don't have any Scorpio energy okay. so much here. Okay. And then the and same here, thing in the 12th even house. though we have, uh, we have, uh, Pluto and Venus in the 12th house. Okay. But this is ruled by Aries. All right. There is no Taurus house cusp in there. So these planets right here feel misplaced. They feel like they are not at their, at their best use or worth, right? There's a little bit of, uh, something off here. All right. With this person, this person should feel that they are lacking this Taurian energy. Like we all, Normally have all of the, all of the planets on our houses, right? That's the average person has all the planets on, on their houses. So we have all of the planets in our charts. We all feel everything. Okay. We are all one with each other. So we have an understanding of how other people can feel. But in this situation where you have interceptions, you have people who have a little bit disconnect with understanding what to do with this energy. Okay. And this Uranus is going to affect this first house more, I would say, than the 12th house, even though it falls in the 12th house, I would say that this person maybe could be known for doing things like surprising you and doing things or having things happen to them that are so unexpected. Does that make any sense? Yes. Do you have any questions? Yes. Um, is this a charismatic person? Oh, it could be. This person could be very charismatic. With Gemini rising, they could be quite the talker, uh, quite the conversationalist. This person also has North Node and the Ninth House. They have, uh, this whole, like, Sun, Neptune, Mercury thing going on in this 11th house. It could make them wizardy with groups of people. Uh, uh, what an interesting uh what an interesting word Uh, (laughs) wizardy yeah um we'll 
we'll see how that uh that word will play in our in the second <laughs> of our show, but, uh, okay okay <laughs> uh-huh. um what role would religion play in their life uh it should be huge do you see this north node in the ninth house mm-hmm. it should be their life like it should be what they came for it's why they're here it's the lesson they chose to do in this lifetime. It should be. Unless they chose to go with their south node, but I don't know. This person has everything they need to be quite the leader of groups of people. I mean, everything they need. Um, what are they looking for in a romantic partner? Well, if they're going with the light side of Sagittarius, Sagittarians for a very interesting, they're very interesting people <laughs> because a Sagittarius man really is going to fall in love with a friend. That's how it's, that's how they kind of work. Like Sagittarians want to make sure that they can get along with this person, right? And so they could easily uh, fall in love with a friend and, and they do kind of like to do that. And then they can, they can be very faithful and honest and true. But the dark side of Sagittarius would be that, um, they go from one to another to another to another because they have no depth to them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they're looking for the next adventure. It isn't so much that. They're mean or they, well, I guess using the word, the term no depth is kind of wrong, but they really like the adventure. And so they want to do whatever, you know, the next, they want to, maybe they just want to be in love a lot or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but the good side is that this would be a long, you know, a person who takes their relationships very seriously. They have Mars in the seventh house. They are very romantic, very um, demonstrative with their affection, that kind of thing. Um, what can you get uh, about their uh, parents, about their mother? I think that there is some kind of pain around the mother. Um, because we have Chiron conjunct moon, which is something that needs to be overcome, there's wounds involving the mother and maybe women and also the mother. I mean, downside of Aquarius could have been the mother was either the mother was very busy in the world. Like maybe the mother was very involved with charities or the church or something where there were groups of people. Okay. And then somehow there's some pain that has to be overcome with that. But it's out in the world and it has to do with career because it's 10th house. And what about the father? The father is the son. And this is in the 11th house. So Again, the father could be involved with groups of people because it's the 11th house, but the father's, um, this person has son in 
in Pisces, but it's 29 degrees. So the father could vacillate between being very angry, warlike, um, driven, uh, goal-oriented, and then very dreamy or imaginative or even could be an alcoholic or drug addict, something, you know, the dark side. So uh, this next question, uh, I'm I'm just going to throw it out there and it may not make any sense, but Mm -hmm. um, do you detect anything that would inhibit them achieving their goals? Uh, any weirdness involved with goals, uh, anything uh, maybe unfortunate or unlucky connected to um, goals and pursuits? Well, this Uranus in the 12th house in Gemini could definitely throw wrenches into things, unexpected wrenches into things. Also, Pluto conjunct Venus in Taurus could be death and rebirth, death and rebirth, death and rebirth of material things and goals. Not the same kind of goals as like Mars goals, you know, but also having Mars and Sagittarius could give this person a um, kind of reckless approach to their goals you know what i mean like maybe maybe they get bored with that goal and they want a different goal you know like downside of sagittarius is that they can get bored really easy like gemini's do and they can lose uh focus and want to do something else you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh can you see anything about what this person's attitude would be towards conflict and violence Well, their Mars is in Sagittarius. Mars in Sagittarius is mm, pretty fierce. Uh, They could get very angry. And not as angry, not as lop off their heads as a Mars and Aries because a Mars and Aries is just like, oh, pff, done. Like, like a bomb going off, you know? It, it, their tempers go off really fast and very fiery and then they're done. Sagittarius also has that kind of temper. Uh, Mars and Leo would be more dramatic about it. Um, but uh, they could be formidable if they were angry um if there are rules uh, that get in the way of what uh, he wants to achieve is he a person who will blindly abide by those rules uh, or would he try and figure out something else to get around them this person I would say is not a person that would blindly follow rules. I think that they have too much fire and air in their chart 
to blindly follow rules. I do not think that this person would necessarily be a criminal. Um, although they could be like, there is a side to this where this person could actually be really good at being a criminal, but I believe, or I feel that this person would do what they could to find that loophole, you know, like there's always a way or they could, I mean, that's what it's showing here in their chart. Uh, what profession do you think he would go into? I think this person is an evangelical preacher or a, uh, maybe some kind of, hmm, I don't know. They could be, uh, in the military maybe, but, um, they definitely have a way of laser pointing their philosophies and somehow gathering groups of people together. So if they are not a preacher or some sort of philosophical leader, I would think they were just someone who leads people to do things maybe leads technology i don't know maybe technology it's aquarius maybe their philosophy is technology but it's very creative and very um driven i guess they could be a scientist this North Node in Aquarius technology, maybe. Okay, uh, this last question is a, another uh, more uh, imaginary, weird one. Um, suppose this guy got two invitations for the same evening. One invitation mm -hmm. is to a party at a country club uh, where a jacket and tie is required. They're going to be eating grape poupon and uh, caviar and champagne. And the other is to a hootenanny uh, with uh, <laughs> uh, fresh uh, granny's fried chicken and banjo music and uh, whoop and hollering good time. Which is there anything in the chart that would indicate which invitation uh, he would be accepting? <laughs> I don't know because this Saturn in Leo in the fourth house shows me he likes some fancy, so there is that. But this Mars and Sag tells me he's feral. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I have a feeling this guy could go to either one of those and fit right in. And I don't want to seem wishy-washy, but I can't help it. Look, Saturn in Leo in the fourth house, it's right there. Fancy. Mars in Sag, seventh house, feral. It's right there. What are you going to do? Uh, are there any other uh, impressions that you uh, get out of this chart? Mm, no, not, I, not until I know who it is. But I will say this. Uh, if this person is working from the right side of the Aquarian behavior, then probably the hoot nanny is going to be the thing. 
because where the people are that we you know like the people uh-huh. not the fancy people but uh-huh. the real people like the people humanity you know what i mean the common I'm gonna man go, i'm gonna go with that okay okay uh well are you ready for a uh, summary of our findings uh yes uh, so, uh, the first thing that you, uh, point out is that there is a passion, direction, and purpose is connected to humanitarian things, um, mm-hmm. possibly towards technology, um, towards groups of people. His purpose could be teaching, um, or creating groups of people. Uh, he could be a preacher or a leader. Um... He uh, is very talkative. He can speak well. He can put words together well. Uh, he can be funny and have a quick wit. Uh, he could be lucky with money and material things, uh, things that you earn. Uh, there is a nurturing quality to him at times, but at other times he could be cranky or crotchety. Um, there is a, a nurturing quality attached to material things. Um, there, he definitely has the possibility to be nurturing and have motherly, uh, uh, qualities in regards to his communications with others. Uh, he could have a very dramatic household. He could be over the top with his style of home. Uh, there are lessons to be learned with home, community, and country. Uh, he could possibly have an older father. Uh, there are lessons with Leo things, uh, meaning entertainment and child- childhood, uh, children, uh, and leadership. Uh, and he could be a teacher of these Leo things, entertainment, leadership. Um, he could be very organized uh, when he is courting a romantic partner. Uh, there are... Uh, he could be attracted to alternative ways of healing. Uh, he is driven in his partnerships. Uh, there uh, could be a cavalier quality with romance. Uh, he would be very gregarious, gregarious, very appealing to romantic partners. Uh, he could be knightly. Uh, there could be a fairy tale romance aspect about him. Uh, he would be good with inheritance. Uh, there are hidden things, secret things connected to money and work. Uh, there are wounds involving women and mother. Uh, women uh, are involved with his career. Uh, there could be a difficulty in dealing with his emotions. There is a love of work and career. Uh, technology and humanitarianism are connected to the career. Uh, he could be an evangelical preacher. Uh, he uh, could be a philosophical leader. Uh, he, uh, could utilize Neptune energy with groups of people. He could mesmerize groups of people. Imagination, uh, he could use his imagination to influence people. He is a fire talker. Uh, he can energize people, lead people with his words. Uh, there is karma dealing with power, uh, romantic relationships. There's a death and rebirth aspect, uh, to this. Karma with maternal things. Uh, karma with material. Com- material. material Thank you. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm having trouble reading my own. <laughs> In case you can't read your notes. Yes. <laughs> karma with material things. Material things. Uh, karma with communications. Unexpected communications. Uh, change things karmically. Um, 
there is a lacking uh, of Scorpio and Taurus energy. Uh, he uh, could be known for doing unexpected things. Uh, he could be very charismatic, a conversationalist. Uh, there could be a wizardly quality about him. Uh, religion is their life, the purpose of why they are here. Um, he uh, would want to fall in love with a friend, uh, can be very faithful and honest and true. Um, at the same time, he might have a lack of depth, uh, always searching for a new adventure. Uh, in any case, he will be very romantic and very demonstrative of his love. Um, there is pain connected to the mother and women. Um, the mother is, uh, could be very busy, uh, in the world, uh, doing charity and church things, uh, might be neglectful, uh, of, uh, this young man, uh, growing up. Um, the father, uh, could be very angry, could be very driven and serious, um, but at other times could be dreamy. Uh, there is the potential for, um, possibly alcoholism to be connected to the father. Uh, there are unexpected stumbling blocks in his career, death and rebirth of material things and goals. Um, there could be a reckless approach to his goals. Uh, he could have a temper, um, and he would be very formidable when he was angry. Uh, he is not one to blindly follow rules and authority. Uh, he is most likely not a criminal, but he has the potential to be. Um... He uh, he is always looking, uh, if a rule gets in, in, becomes an obstacle to him, he would be looking for loopholes uh, to uh, get around it. Uh, he could be an evangelical preacher. Uh, he has a, a way of laser pointing his philosophy and gathering people around it. Uh, he could be a leader, an instigator of people. Uh, there could be a tech, uh, a, 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 an aspect of technology as being his philosophy. Uh, he is very creative. He is very driven. Uh, he could possibly be a scientist. Um, there, are aspects uh, to him which would uh, lead him towards uh, fancy material things, um, but there are other aspects that pull him towards uh, more wild and feral um, material things. Uh, in any sense, uh, he is going to lean towards the people. He is going to lean towards the common man. Uh, is there anything that I left out? No, you didn't leave anything out, but I did want to address this Pluto conjunct Venus right here in the 12th house. That's also could be uh, very powerful with material things, right? Uh, which in the 12th house, it could make him um, definitely appreciate the finer things in life. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I mean, this guy can go either way with... Uh, fancy or not fancy. Uh-huh. Um, are you ready to find out whose chart you've been looking at? <laughs> yes. This is the astrological birth chart of William Jennings Bryan. <gasps> um, I don't know if I know who that is. Uh, so, uh, Depending, you, it, that I I don't blame you for that. Uh, William Jennings <laughs> Bryan is possibly um, one of the 
most influential and uh, most uh, uh, powerful uh, politicians to have never actually been elected president of the United States. Um, He was nominated uh, three times uh, by the Democratic Party to be president of the United States and never actually achieved it. Um, But it was one of the most uh, profound uh, orators and politicians of his time. Uh, Mm. He uh, is very much linked to uh, the populist movement of the late 1890s uh, and the progressive era era of the early 20th century and would Mm. campaign fiercely for these things um, that would eventually become laws and amendments to our constitution uh, but he was never actually the one to usher those in other people uh, would do that uh, later on Um, Mm. just on a personal note I find him to be one of the most fascinating characters in American history. And uh, I, I, while I don't agree with everything that the man stood for, I do uh, profoundly uh, like the style in which uh, he uh, went about his campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, so William Jennings Bryan was born on March 19th, 1860 in Salem, Illinois. Uh, he was the fourth of nine children. Um, the th- three others that came before him all uh, eventually passed away. Uh, so oh, he no. became the eldest uh, child, uh, born uh, to Silas and Mariah Bryan. Um, Silas uh, was a Virginian. Uh, he uh, was a classic Jacksonian Democrat. And uh, he came to Illinois uh, when he was uh, in his late teens, I-, I believe, at an early age in any sense. He had a classical education and uh, he was going to go on to become a, a lawyer and a judge um, and a politician. Uh, Silas uh, Bryan uh, served in uh, 1848 and later on the 1872 uh, in the Illinois Constitutional Convention, Uh, Mm -hmm. so uh, making the new constitution for the state of Illinois. Mm -hmm. Um, He would also serve in the uh, state legislature um, and serve as a judge. Uh, He uh, was a classic Jacksonian Democrat, uh, which meant that uh, when this new party sprung up from the Midwest called the Republican Party, um, well, he was a Democrat and naturally opposed uh, to um, this uh, new party, the Republicans, and especially uh, one of his peers was Abraham Lincoln. And uh, uh, Silas uh, Bryan was a uh, opponent of uh, Lincoln and a a strong supporter of Stephen Douglas, uh, the Democrat hmm. from Illinois. Um, Silas had a, a very interesting relationship to uh, the issue of slavery and the issue of the Civil War. He was a profound unionist. He did not believe that it was right for uh, these southern states to secede from the Union. At the mm-hmm. same time, uh, being a Jacksonian Democrat, continuing in this Jeffersonian view of democracy, he did not think that it was the government's job to weigh in on the issue of slavery. Um, And when Lincoln uh, issued the Emancipation Proclamation, um, uh, uh, Silas uh, criticized it fiercely, uh, saying that it was not the right of the government to get involved in this. Um, 
he uh, would always uh, use his uh, religious background and make these uh, biblical allusions uh, to uh, uh, the all of his political speeches. And uh, this uh, 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 reaching into uh, his uh, 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 deep Baptist faith uh, in his uh, political speeches would have a profound impact on the young uh, William. Mm-hmm. Um, as a Democrat, uh, in Illinois, uh, he was in South Illinois, which was more heavily Democrat than, uh, Northern Illinois. He was still looked upon as maybe not being trustworthy during the Civil mm-hmm. War, um, and, uh, was uh, coined as a copperhead, meaning that he could be a Confederate spy. Um, mm-hmm. it, he, it, in any sense, uh, he continued in his political career and continued representing the people of, uh, I believe it's Marion County, uh, Illinois, um, uh, after the Civil War as a Democrat. Um, William's mother was named Mariah, Mariah Jennings, and uh, she was actually a former student of um, Silas uh, Bryan. Uh, so when Silas first came to Illinois, he was a school teacher. Uh, that was how he uh, paid his bills and uh, uh, met uh, the young uh, Mariah. And uh, later on, uh, they developed a courtship and uh, were married in 1851. Um, she uh, was responsible for educating young uh, William Bryan. Uh, so uh, up until the age of 10, uh, he was entirely homeschooled um, by uh, his mother. Uh, she was seen as more of the lighter influence on William Jennings Bryan. She was um, uh, much more wittier, and uh, she brought music into the home and played piano. Um, she was the one uh, who was always laughing and teasing, um, whereas Silas was much more of a serious figure um, mm. in uh, William's life. Um, even as, uh, William would go on into, uh, his, his career, but by the age of four, he was already showing his, uh, gift for oratory and giving long speeches to whoever would listen. And, mm-hmm. uh, his mother would tease him about how long these speeches were and how stilted they were. Um, but, uh, still supported him, uh, in his eventual, uh, career. Um, she was a Methodist. Uh, so, uh, there was a conflict within the house. And she never uh, uh, converted to Baptist uh, as uh, her uh, as as uh, Silas was, uh, and so uh, with mother being a Methodist and uh, father being Baptist, uh, they actually raised uh, young William to decide for his own uh, what his own religious convictions would be. And at the age of fourteen, uh, William Jennings Bryan attended a tent revival, uh, and it so stirred up his soul what the preacher uh, uh, was. Uh, uh, orating about, uh, that right then and there, uh, William Jennings Bryan decided that he was going to be a Presbyterian. Uh, so... Uh, all of the uh, different uh, Protestant uh, houses are represented within the Bryan household. Um, at the age of 15, uh, he was sent uh, to the uh, Whipple Academy. Um, so at this time, uh, colleges would have offshoots of preparatory academies because they were receiving students from 
all over counties and states who had had different levels of homeschooling. And so they would send them first to a preparatory academy to get them up to speed before mm-hmm. they would actually go into the college. Uh, so at 15, uh, there's actually a, a big discussion uh, between uh, William and his father as to what school he would be attending. And uh, they eventually decided on uh, the Whipple Academy and uh, Illinois College um, because they had a relative there, uh, who was uh, one of the administrators uh, at the college, and he offered uh, room and board uh, to uh, young William. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- that kind of uh, settled things. And so he went uh, to Whipple Academy, and uh, he wasn't known as uh, someone who was naturally intelligent, naturally smart. He was someone who was going to work hard and study late nights, and that's how he was going to overcome those who are naturally smart but didn't actually uh, uh, persevere uh, or weren't determined in their studies. Hmm. Um so uh, William, uh, also during this time, uh, his early college years, uh, sh- continues his uh, uh, tremendous uh, uh, gift for oratory. Um, and uh, as he goes on into uh, the Illinois College in Jacksonville, uh, Tennessee, uh, they had these uh, oratory competitions uh, that they would have between the other colleges, uh, sort of like uh, uh, debates and things. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, at this intercollegiate uh, uh, exhibition, uh, William Jennings Bryan won second place in the whole state of Illinois. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the other orators who's there uh, was a, a woman, which was uh, very fascinating for this time. And uh, her name was Jane Adams. And uh, Jane Adams would later go on to uh, establish Hull House uh, in Illinois. And uh, that was one of the first. Um, Places to look at mental illness as uh, something that can be treated uh, through mm. uh, therapy and through other means and helping people who are poor to uh, uh, get out of poverty. And uh, she remembers, she actually lost to William Jennings Bryan. She got fourth place. And she remembered that already at that young age, you could see the future of this man and you could see uh, the future uh, of what he would do to shake up uh, politics in the country. Um, Mm -hmm. during this time, uh, while he's going to college and winning these awards, uh, he uh, starts courting a young lady, um, named Mary Baird. Um, now Mary Baird was attending the female academy that was in uh, Jacksonville, Illinois. Uh, and the female academy had very strict rules as to uh, how you can socialize and how you can uh, go about having uh, romantic relationships. Uh, and so uh, they allowed their students to have one afternoon a month uh, that mm-hmm. they could go out and they could either visit their family or they can uh, ha- go on uh, dates or whatever. But it was just one afternoon a month. Um, well, William was completely taken by Mary, and one afternoon a month was not nearly enough time for him. And uh, so he started figuring out all sorts of sly ways of bending these rules. Uh, the uh, uh, women in the academy were allowed uh, an hour of physical activity. Uh, this would mostly take place in taking walks around town. And so... 
uh, William decided that he would just take his walks at the mm-hmm. same time that Mary was taking hers. And uh, so then they would chat and talk as they walked along. Um, eventually, uh, he developed a close relationship with one of the professors. And one of the professor's wives, he convinced uh, the wife to host teas, uh, 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 tea parties. And the tea parties would only have two guests and that would be William and Mary and uh, so they would be entertained in the parlor with a chaperone um, mm-hmm. but this was certainly not part of the one afternoon a month that people were given another <laughs> thing and this story may be apocryphal we're not absolutely sure if this is true but I, I found it so touching that I had to include it um, is that there was a tree uh, that was outside the door uh, or outside the window of uh, Mary's dormitory and uh, William was seen climbing the tree very often uh, and just sitting on the branch of the tree and talking to her through the window <laughs> Um, eventually all of these bending of the rules, uh, didn't get William in trouble. They got Mary in trouble. And, uh, the, uh, uh, female, uh, uh, head of the academy, uh, actually suspended, uh, Mary and made her go back home. Uh, and, uh, so, and walked her to the train herself to make sure that there was no uh, collusion that no, no more of uh, William's schemes would uh, become involved in this young lady's life uh, so oh, she uh, got her on the train got her seated then got off the train and uh, then out of the luggage compartment comes William <laughs> And William has a ring in his hand and uh, he is uh, uh, says, we're going to go to your parents' house and I'm going to explain everything that I'm not some fast and loose young man, that I mean what mm-hmm. I'm saying and that uh, I didn't mean to get you in all this trouble, but uh, I'm mm-hmm. going to make an honest woman out of you. No. And Mary says, uh, no, you're not. You're going to stay oh. here. I can handle this all on my own. I am an independent mm-hmm. woman and I can explain mm-hmm. to my family that this is preposterous, that mm-hmm. we are doing everything completely above board there have been chaperones this whole time and uh, she she sent uh, William out of the train and uh, Mary went back home and explained to her father the whole situation and the father took her side on the whole thing that the uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, female uh, uh, the mistress who was uh, running the academy was completely out of line for doing this and uh, Mary came back uh, the next fall and um, what they ended up doing was uh, there, there were no that they ended up saying that it's okay if you write letters to each other. We can't condone all of this actual seeing of each other, but you can mm-hmm. write letters to each other once a week. Oh my! And so once a week for the entire time that uh, they were at Jacksonville together, um, uh, they exchanged letters uh, once a week. Oh my! Um, eventually, uh, William. Uh, graduated uh he actually graduated at the top of his class um Mm -hmm. and uh he decided to go to law school uh, just as his uh, father had done before him and he went to chicago to do so uh he went to uh, the union law school there and uh uh he uh, continued uh, and he, he studied there for two years and then he passed the bar and he came back to Jacksonville where Mary was and uh, he started a law practice there. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, uh, 
William, having uh, his uh, father being a Baptist and his mother being a Methodist and himself being a Presbyterian, uh, all three of them uh, frowned uh, strongly on uh, the drinking of alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. William was a, a teetotaler uh, for uh, mm-hmm. his entire life, uh, never drank a drop. And uh, But as a lawyer, he needed clients. And so mm-hmm. one of the first clients to come was a saloon owner. And the Uh saloon owner uh, needed a lawyer to go after these people who were not paying uh, uh, their debts. They were they were drinking and running up these tabs, but they weren't actually Mm -hmm. paying for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he decided while he didn't really condone the drinking of alcohol, um, if others were going to do so, they should pay for it. And so he was Mm -hmm. going to make sure that they did. And so that was the first client that he took on was a saloon owner. Uh, He uh, continued to grow his a law practice and all this time he had not married mary um because uh he wanted to make sure that he was completely settled that all debts had been taken care of and that he could actually provide a good life uh, for a young bride mm-hmm. and um eventually he did get to a sta- a, a, a a place where he felt comfortable in providing a life for mary <laughs> and so uh they were married in 1884 And uh, Mary uh, was a lifelong companion to William and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, helped him in every endeavor that he ever did. Mary would actually go on to um, uh, pass the bar herself and become a lawyer um, and not so much uh, as someone who went into courts herself, but to make sure that she could look over William's work and and make sure that everything that he was doing was all right. Uh, She actually Mm -hmm. learned German uh, so that she could study a German uh, economics manual so that uh, she could explain to William uh, what the different economic policies of the world uh, were as he went on in his law and his political career. Uh, So uh, a a tremendous... um, uh, ally uh, William had in his wife uh, Mary. Um, he discovered that uh, being in Jacksonville, Illinois, uh, was not going to be a, a, a great place to have any sort of career. It was uh, not a town. It was well established. He needed to go someplace new. He needed to go out mm-hmm. west. And so he went to Nebraska and he went to Lincoln, Nebraska, and uh, he established a law office there. And uh, they, uh, 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 William and, and Mary, uh, started their life out there. And uh, he very quickly uh, ran up the ranks of the Democratic Party in Nebraska. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though he was a very young man, um, Nebraska really didn't have much of a Democratic Party. Uh, mm-hmm. Everybody there were Republicans uh, and were very strong uh, supporters of the party of Lincoln. Uh, and so uh, it was very easy to run up to the top of the ranks of the Democratic Party in Nebraska. <laughs> um, but he did so, and he was able to captivate others towards his cause. And in 1890, William Jennings Bryan became only the second Democrat ever elected in the history of Nebraska to the United States House of Representatives. Mm. Uh, then uh, the next election, 1892, he was reelected to uh, the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, now, I, I think it is important for me to talk a little bit about what uh, made Brian so different in the Democratic Party and in politics at the time. And that gets us into this um, tricky subject of populism. So uh, this involves a little bit of economics, and I, uh, I'm i going to do the best that I can to explain it to you, even though I'm not completely sure I understand it all myself. <laughs> um, but... 
at this time, uh, in uh, the 1870s, 80s, 90s, uh, the United States dollar was based off of the gold standard, uh, meaning that each dollar that was produced was uh, based off of uh, whatever the prices of gold were at the time. Uh, so uh, this was um, uh, the, pretty much the way things had been all through this time. It made things very easy to trade with, uh, but it also caused uh, huge problems when uh, times of depression hit um, uh, because there was nothing that the government could do to alleviate the pressures of a depression or a scarcity of money for the common man. Rich people would hold on to their money, and since money was actually based off of gold, um, there was nothing, the government cannot make gold. So there was mm -hmm. nothing that they could do to increase the money supply. So if rich people held on to their money and did not spend it and did not invest it, then mm -hmm. the plight of the poor would continue to get worse and worse, and mm -hmm. the rich, as always, in up becoming richer mm -hmm. um so uh, at this time there are these people like brian who decide that maybe there should be some other aspect in this some other way of increasing the money supply what if we also involve silver in this so we have a united states dollar that is backed both off of silver and gold two metals this is called bimetallism and so uh, this was uh, something that poor people, farmers in the West, in the Midwest, industrial workers were all behind. Because if you included silver in your determination of what a dollar was, then that would increase the amount of money supply. It would make it easier to pay off debts. More people would have more money. Rich people, on the other hand, saw this as a way for somehow they would lose money on this because they have all of this gold. If you start including silver in all this, then the finite money supply would, if, if someone else is gaining money, that means that they are losing money. Uh, so uh, the elites uh, in both parties, in the Democrat and the Republican Party, did not want this to happen. They did not want <laughs> both silver and gold. They wanted only the gold standard. Uh so come 1893, there is a depression that hits. There is a panic, an economic uh, uh, depression that hits in the United States. And all over the place, the rich are doing just fine, but the poor and the common man and the farm laborers and the industrial workers are not doing fine at all. Uh, and so a lot of people start turning towards populists, start turning towards men like William Jennings Bryan as a solution to this. If they can get into office, then they can get a silver and gold standard, and then that can ease the plight of these poor people. Uh, so uh, we start going into the next presidential cycle, the election of 1896. Uh, Grover Cleveland is the current president. He is a Democrat, and he is an old-time Democrat. He is uh, what they call a bourbon Democrat. Uh, so these are people from the North and the South who are well-off, and they are elite already, and they are rich, mm -hmm. and they do not want a silver and gold standard. They want it to stay mm -hmm. on the gold standard. Okay, so that if that's what the current Democratic president thinks, let's go to the Republicans. And they have William McKinley, and he is also solidly on the gold standard. <laughs> that the rich people should be able to keep their gold money, and that we're not going to try and meddle things up by adding silver into all of this. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you have both major parties are represented by people that do not want this. While you have all of the rest of America who is very much in favor of trying to do this, of trying to uh, uh, have this silver and gold standard. So they form their own political party called the Populist Party. And they nominate William Jennings Bryan to be uh, their uh, nominee for president. Bryan is a committed Democrat. So while this other party has nominated him, he also goes to the Democratic Convention uh, in Chicago in 1896. And uh, at this time, the sitting president is a Democrat, but he does not want this silver and gold standard. But he knows that there are enough Democrats there who will try and put this as a plank in the platform. And there might mm -hmm. be enough for them to nominate someone who uh, supports having a silver and gold standard. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, Democratic race this time, um, all decisions are made at the convention. There are no primaries. There's no caucuses. All of it happens in what we know of as smoke-filled rooms where the old party leaders get together and decide who's going to be the nominee. Uh, so mm -hmm. you have uh, governors and you have uh, the former vice president or current vice president, Adelaide Stevenson. You have all these guys and they are old time Democrats and uh, they are most likely going to be uh, the nominees for the party. And while Brian would accept the nomination if it were handed to him, he's there mostly to try and get this plank in the platform that the Democratic Party is going to support silver and gold. So we get to the convention and uh, they are in a heated discussion as to what they are going to do. Uh, is the Democratic Party going to go with their sitting president, Grover Cleveland, and say only the gold standard? Or are they going to try and mix things up and uh, go for both a silver and a gold standard? Uh, so they have several people, uh, leaders in the Democratic Party, uh, get up and address uh, the hall uh, to try and convince them either to stay with the gold standard, move to the silver and gold standard. Um, and then who they decide to speak on behalf of silver and gold, uh, uh, one of them is uh, a man named Tillman uh, from South Carolina. And he does an absolutely wretched job of trying to convince people that we should go on a bi-metal standard. Hmm. Um, uh, he uh, codes it in all of these uh, 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 old uh, you know, old time Southern uh, Confederate uh, sort of things. <laughs> and uh, it's just bad all around. Uh, so they think, oh, well, this is over because all we have is this young kid, uh, Brian, and he's going to go up there and what he's going to do. Well, the other two who are speaking for the gold standard, they've already spoken. The other guy, Tillman, he's already spoken. So the last person to have any word on uh, the sil before they take this to a vote, uh, the last person to have a word on bimetallism, on silver and gold, is William Jennings Bryan. And mm -hmm. he addresses uh, uh, the hall, he addresses the convention, he gets onto the stage, and, and I just want you all to picture this in your mind. There's a hall, and there's no microphones. Uh, mm -hmm. This is a time, uh, 1896, uh, uh, so whatever you're... The only way you're going to speak to the people in the back row is with your own passion and whatever mm -hmm. muscles you've developed in your diaphragm. Mm -hmm. And you, the convention hall, people are murmuring and talking and they're not really paying attention. And Brian gets up to the stage and he delivers one of the 
greatest speeches in American history. And wow. uh, he talks about uh, uh, how, you know, the, the Republicans and the old time Democrats, they're saying we can't go to this silver and gold standard because the rest of the nation has not gone to it. And it's going to hurt our trade with England. And he says, well, I believe that we fought a war in 1776 to make sure mm-hmm. that we had no more English influence over us. Mm-hmm. And if we go to the silver and gold standard, we're going to be the leaders of the world and we're going to bring mm-hmm. England and the rest of Europe along along with us mm-hmm. and he uh, goes uh, on uh, uh, talking about how uh, we need to have an income tax so that we can uh, tax these uh, rich people uh, fairly and uh, make sure that they're putting in their fair share into the government and uh, providing for people. And uh, he just keeps uh, uh, building and building and slowly the hall gets quieter and quieter as everyone has their attention on him. And he's ramping up to this epic conclusion. And I do have to read uh, this uh, sentence or two uh, that ends the <laughs> convention because it is one of the greatest and he goes Mm -hmm. if they dare come out in the open field and defend the gold standard as a as a good thing we shall fight them to the uttermost having behind us the producing masses of the nation and the world having behind us the commercial interests and the laboring interests and all the toiling masses we shall answer their demands for a gold standard by saying to them you shall not Press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. You shall not crucify mankind upon a cross of gold. And then he flung out his arms and hung his head as if he had been crucified on that very spot. Oh my! The, Absolutely. The hall erupted in cheers and, and noise and fanfare and hurrahs. And the, the reception of this, it lasted over 30 minutes. They, they brought wow. him off of the stage and carried them on their shoulders around the hall. This young 36 year old man was nominated to be the Democratic nominee for president of the United States the very next day. Wow. He remains the youngest man, the youngest person ever to be nominated for president of the United States from a major party uh, ever in the history of the United States. That's awesome. Um, the 1896 election uh, was a very interesting one uh, for the Republicans. You have William McKinley. He was the uh, uh, either the governor or the former governor of Ohio. And... He decided to run his campaign in a very old style. It was called a front porch campaign. McKinley, it was beneath him to go out uh, to see the rest of the country. Um, if you are actively campaigning for the office of president, then you must not be deserving of it. Um, that was this idea. It goes back to George Washington and uh, even Roman times uh, that uh, it was uh, unseemly to actually go out there and dirty yourself in politics you were supposed to be above it all and so Mm -hmm. William McKinley would have reporters come up to his front porch in Ohio Mm -hmm. and they could ask him questions well this is a very uh, aristocratic and elite way of running a campaign Um, Brian decides that he's going to go out in the thick of it and he is going to Mm -hmm. campaign and he's going to press the flesh and he goes and he delivers over 600 speeches he reaches over 5 million people in 27 Mm. states goes all up and down the west and the midwest um he doesn't win uh mm. william mckinley uh wins uh the presidency um 
Uh, and after 1896, no one really much cares a whole lot about bimetallism and trying to put a silver um, into uh, the money stream. Um, the economy kind of writes itself. And, uh, of course, when uh, people uh, start getting weary of a depression, uh, the best thing to do is to have a war. And uh, mm-hmm. so uh, the Spanish-American War breaks out. And uh, William Jennings Bryan, still a, a very important person in his party, um, and uh, someone who cares deeply about the plight of the Cuban people uh, and what they had been dealing with under the Spanish regime, uh, organizes uh, 2,000 troops to come from Nebraska. They go to Florida, um, but Teddy Roosevelt and the Rough Riders handled the situation very quickly, and uh, the Spanish-American War was done. Um, but uh, he does not like what the outcome of this war is. He was hoping that America would go in, help these countries throw off these colonial shackles, and then let them be their own countries, um, get out of their business. America had no business creating colonies of their own. That's not what America was supposed to be about in uh, Brian's mind. Uh, hmm. And so uh, he becomes a fierce anti-imperialist because not only does America go in and uh, decide what the matter are going to be in Cuba, they go to the Philippines as well and mm-hmm. uh, also tell the Filipino people how they should uh, say that you're a colony of us now, you're a protectorate. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Brian did not like this at all, but uh, a lot of Americans uh, uh, did, uh, and they believed that it was right that America should become this global power uh, just the same as England or Germany or France or all these other places. And uh, so in the election of 1900, um, he runs again for president. Uh, and this time he uh, focuses solely on foreign policy, solely on America should not be this global power uh, sticking its fingers in all these other people's business. We're now fighting another war with the Filipino people who are trying to make their own independent country. This is wrong. We should not be doing this. Um, mm-hmm. And he becomes the nominee again for the Democratic Party. Uh, and he loses again. Uh, mm. This time, William McKinley, while he's going to remain this um, uh, aristocratic elite uh, person uh, not delving into politics, he decides he does need someone who's going to press the flesh just as much as uh, Brian does. And so he gets this young upstart uh, from New York named Teddy Roosevelt to be his vice president. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And Teddy Roosevelt was very much the Republican answer to Brian and goes mm-hmm. out there and is a fierce campaigner and delivers speeches and is a great orator, just as Brian mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, then McKinley was assassinated and Teddy Roosevelt becomes the president of the United States. Uh, mm-hmm. And in 1904, the Democrats uh, have decided, well, Ryan, Brian has been the nominee twice and he's lost both times. Maybe we mm-hmm. should do something different this time. And so mm-hmm. they nominate someone else and he loses even worse than Brian ever did because they're running against Teddy Roosevelt. Right. Uh, and uh, then... Uh, uh, Brian decides to run one more time in 1908. This time, Teddy Roosevelt has decided he's not going to run, and he handpicks his successor, uh, William Howard Taft. And But because Roosevelt had all of this charisma, he was able to uh, help Taft become uh, president. And so Brian goes three for three. Uh, he is mm-hmm. uh, one of uh, the, the only people since the Civil War uh, to have won the nomination of their of a major political party three times and lost mm-hmm. every time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But what's also interesting is what starts to happen is the Republican Party starts to adopt a lot of these things that Brian was campaigning for. They never mm-hmm. go for the whole bimetallism thing. Um, but uh, things like having... Uh, um, uh, uh, an income tax, uh, having uh, direct elections of your senators, uh, uh, things like having a food and drug administration, you know, uh, making sure that the food uh, that you're eating is what it says it is, uh, that the government has some sort of role to play in that. This was something that mm-hmm. Brian was saying years before, and now Teddy Roosevelt and Taft are starting to roll the ball towards getting these things done. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the idea of uh, uh, having initiatives and referendums that the a direct level of democracy that the people should be more directly involved in their government uh, these are also things that start to catch on all things that uh, Brian had uh, proposed earlier um, and even though he had never been elected president uh, uh, these things are now starting to catch on uh, mm-hmm. he was a fierce uh, campaigner about trust busting breaking up up, um, the Rockefellers and J.P. Morgan, um, having a federal regulation of banks that if you put your money in a bank, the government will ensure that that money will stay there, that you will have money uh, uh, even if the bank closes. This is mm-hmm. something that doesn't happen in America until the 1930s. Uh, mm-hmm. He is proposing uh, these ideas. Um, uh, he is also a fierce campaigner for prohibition, uh, that alcohol is this great evil in our society, and that if we got rid of it, we would be able to uh, get past it and, and uh, have a better society. That, of course, did not end up happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, prohibition did happen, but uh, mm-hmm. then only criminals were involved in uh, <laughs> making alcohol, so that was very bad. Uh, but mm-hmm. this is all part of this era that we can make life better. He becomes someone who was a fierce advocate for giving women the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, he also proposes having a federal highway system. In the early 1900s, this is not something that will be completely realized until the 1950s and 60s. Mm-hmm. He is thinking mm-hmm. way ahead on all of these things. Um, eventually, the Democrats do win uh, an election. Uh, in 1912, uh, Woodrow Wilson is elected president. And a lot of that has to do with uh, Brian um, putting his support behind Woodrow Wilson. And mm-hmm. in uh, recognition of this, Wilson as president makes Brian his secretary of state. Brian, uh, following through on his fierce um, anti-imperialism. He is also a a fierce pacifist. Uh, He does not believe that war is the way that we should be handling uh, our uh, problems with each other as countries. Uh, He uh, uh, and seeing the clouds of war brew over um, Europe between uh, England and France and Germany, he wants America to have no part of it. Uh, So Mm -hmm. as World War I erupts, uh, he urges Wilson to be neutral, stay out Mm -hmm. of it, do not Mm -hmm. get involved. Wilson is very much an Anglophile, and he wants to make sure that uh, England uh, does not get taken over by Germany. He wants to... He also saw the U-boats, the use of submarine warfare, as being uh, absolutely dishonorable. Um, That the fact that these uh, uh, ships could not see uh, uh, their opponents, that this was wrong, Mm -hmm. and that that should be Mm -hmm. against uh, warfare completely. Uh, And Mm -hmm. eventually the U-boats were uh, sinking ships that had Americans on them. And Mm -hmm. Brian 
Instead of uh, critiquing the Germans, Brian critiqued the Americans, that you knew that this ship was going into a war zone and you should not mm-hmm. have gotten on that ship. Um, mm-hmm. Wilson critiqued the Germans for using this, um, what he believed, unlawful form of warfare. Um, mm-hmm. Eventually, Wilson uh, decides that uh, uh, he's going to u- issue a public statement against Germany and the Central Powers. And once he does that, Brian uh, puts in his resignation and he resigns as Secretary of wow. State in 1915, believing mm-hmm. that now America is on its way to entering this war that he believes is unconscionable. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, uh, we do enter World War One on the side of uh, the, uh, uh, of England and France. And um, Brian, once this happens, once war is actually declared, he sends a telegram to Wilson saying, um, "I will be happy to enlist as a private uh, in the uh, army, and you can send me wherever you need to." At this time, he's well in his forties, uh, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. but uh, whatever help you need, Mister President, I'm there. And uh, Wilson just says, "Well, just don't say anything bad about us right now." And so uh, they agree. Um, then we get into the final chapter of Brian's life. And mm-hmm. uh, this is what a lot of people focus maybe too much on. Um, mm-hmm. And that is his, his fierce stance on evolution um, mm-hmm. and the teaching of evolution in schools. Um, mm-hmm. By the 1920s, um, a lot of school districts are uh, having teachers that are going in and teaching Darwin's theories of evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And these, to Brian, he saw this as a uh, as a two-pronged threat. One of them, mm-hmm. as a biblical person, as someone who really cared and carried in his heart the words of the Bible, this was mm-hmm. uh, not right on a moral level because Darwinism mm-hmm. uh, posits uh, that uh, man did not come from God, that man came uh, from evolution from uh, apes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on this other level, which... It did end up happening. He saw it as a social level that this could be used by the wrong people uh, to uh, go after people of different races and say mm-hmm. that they are evolutionary, um, evolutionary, whatever. That they, they are. Uh, there is something scientifically different about these people that right. they are inferior, which is exactly mm-hmm. what happened. It is something mm-hmm. that happened in the U.S. It is something that happened. The Nazis very much took the words of Darwin and manipulated them to have social Mm -hmm. Darwinism and say that people are scientifically inferior. Mm -hmm. So Brian had both of these things that he was very active upon, um, that evolution was wrong and should not be taught. Um, In Tennessee, they actually passed a law uh, saying that evolution cannot be taught in public schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a substitute biology teacher uh, by the name of Scopes. He was actually born in the same town that William Bryan was born in, Salem, Illinois. Uh, and he uh, decided that this law was wrong and he was going to teach evolution to the children uh, in his class. Uh, he mm-hmm. was arrested uh, for doing mm. so and uh, a trial was held. Uh, it is uh, known as the Scopes Monkey Trial or the, smoke, the, the uh, Scopes Evolution Trial. Mm-hmm. And uh, William Jennings Bryan decides that he is going to represent the school district, that uh, mm-hmm. he is going to say that this was wrong, uh, that uh, it was wrong of this teacher to go in and teach this. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, 
for the defense, they get uh, one of the other greatest orators in American history, one of the greatest lawyers, a man named Clarence Darrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, the it is really a battle of of the minds. It is a battle of the two greatest orators in American history at that time. Uh, mm-hmm. As they go back and forth on uh, Darrow says, yes, he broke the law, but the law was wrong. Um, and Brian says he broke the law and the law is right. And uh, so they go back and forth. Um, uh, and it, it is something that captivates the nation. And uh, a lot of people look at Brian as someone who is backward, uh, who mm-hmm. uh, is not, this is the new thing, science and technology and evolution. It all goes together. Um, and uh, 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 he Brian argues that, first of all, this is just a hypothesis. There's no way of actually proving evolution. You can't do it. You can't do any tests. Science mm-hmm. is all about testing and having uh, uh, results repeated. Um, you cannot use the scientific method to prove evolution. Secondly, he says that this is, uh, it is right for parents, uh, and constituents to have a role in their children's education. That, uh, mm-hmm. if the constituents of a school district or a state say that they do not want this taught in their schools, uh, then th- the schools should follow, teachers should follow mm-hmm. this. Um, mm-hmm. And then he also puts it in the words uh, of the Bible, that this is um, immoral, that this is uh, wrong, both on the level of it being taught that the word of God is not uh, is secondary to the word of man, and uh, that uh, uh, this has disastrous ramifications in what people can use Darwinism to justify. Um, in the end, uh, uh, he is... Uh, the. the uh, Scopes is found guilty uh, and he is charged a hundred dollars and that is it. Um, mm-hmm. This uh, Brian had was worked up so much about this um, uh, that he was uh, actually found medically incapable of having his concluding arguments. Um, mm. And uh, he decided to print them instead. And again, he says uh, that he has no problem with science. He is not an mm-hmm. anti-science man. That science mm-hmm. is a magnificent teacher uh, of the material force of the material world, but it is not a teacher of morals. Morals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is so worked up about this, he continues to go on uh, uh, to uh, speeches and orate about this for several days after. Um, but uh, very soon after this verdict is delivered, uh, he passes away. Um, he uh, is taken from Tennessee and he is buried at uh, Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C. On his epitaph, it reads, Statesman, yet friend to truth, of soul sincere, in action faithful, and in honor clear. And then Mm. on the backside, it says he kept the faith. Wow. Uh, William Jennings Bryan, uh, one of the most important people of uh, the late uh, 19th and early 20th century had a profound impact uh, on American politics and uh, a a man's, the American relationship of government and and the common man and what the government owes to regular uh, Americans. Um, He 
uh, even though he was never actually elected in to uh, the office of president, uh, you can see what he was trying to do in the administrations of Roosevelt, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, of uh, Woodrow Wilson, of uh, FDR, even going into Eisenhower. Um, uh, the things that he saw as what the government uh, owed people um, uh, were things that ended up happening, even though he was not the one uh, who got them to happen. And uh, going through our uh, uh, our readings, I think that um, everything is here. Uh, uh, an evangelical preacher, that's probably the only thing uh, that uh, he was not an actual preacher, but God mm-hmm. and religion had a very profound role to play in his politics and in what he was talking about. And as mm-hmm. a leader, he very much relied on uh, the Bible and what uh, he was uh, talking about. Um, but mm-hmm. to energize people, um, uh, that is definitely what his purpose was and what he did. And uh, as the the last little thing that I will add to all this is that you described um, one of the words you used was wizard like. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The Wizard of Oz is a novel based on the populist movement. Um, uh, L. Frank Baum uh, was a man who was uh, fiercely an advocate of uh, bimetallism and of the standard uh, that we should bring silver into it. Dorothy's shoes in the book are not ruby red; they are silver. Right. Mm-hmm. It is silver on the yellow brick road, silver yes. and gold coming together. Um, mm-hmm. Now, Baum was not a Democrat, and so uh, he uh, did not put Brian in the best of lights. He made Brian <laughs> the Cowardly Lion. The Cowardly <gasps> Lion is based off of um, uh, William Jennings Bryan. Um, so, uh, uh, again, just a, a fascinating person, one of my um, favorite people to talk about in American history. And uh, I think that this um, chart bears out uh, very well. Oh, well, this was an excellent choice, Chandler. And I do love it when you bring subjects and people that I am not familiar with. I had heard the name, of course, but I was not familiar with this man's story. And I love this story. It's very wonderful. And the way it connects to The Wizard of Oz is just delightful to me. And um, I'm glad that I could see uh, in this chart things that you found uh similar to who he was and um it does make sense with his chart and this uranus being so close to his first house cusp that he probably would not have made president but that north node in the ninth house in aquarius and the moon and chiron chiron healing uh healing uh, he, he was, he was making attempts to heal people, uh, groups of people in a futuristic way. So that makes a lot of sense. And his ability to orate the way that he could and just, you know, bring people into what his, uh, concepts and ideas were is, is, is very clear. Whoops. I didn't mean to hit the mic. Very clear in his Mercury and Sun and Neptune in the 11th house. So what a fascinating man. I understand why you like him so much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
So, um, is there anything else that um, makes more sense uh, now that you know who it is? Yes, it really does all make sense. Um, this Jupiter in Cancer in the second house, that nurturing, nurturing the people, you know, it's uh, it all makes a lot of sense. And this uh, Mars at 28 degrees Sagittarius, that's very close to Capricorn. And men who have Mars and Capricorn are seriously in for the long, long, long haul. They, once they've decided that you're the one they want, they're in it forever. As and, and they are not ones to necessarily jump right in. I mean, they will court you. They're all about the courtship. Mm-hmm. And so that's very interesting. And also having seventh house in Sagittarius is very much wanting a intellectual equal. You know, because Sagittarius is ruled by Jupiter. Jupiter rules higher education, learning, teaching, intellect, you know. So all of that makes a lot of sense. What a wonderful subject. What a wonderful person, Chandler. That's very good. Um, thank you. Um, well, I think on our uh, scale of right on the money to uh, way out in outer space, uh, this is definitely one that's uh, right on the money, uh, <laughs> as long as that money is backed by silver and gold. <laughs> well, thank you, Chandler. That's very nice to know. Uh, well, uh, that concludes uh, this episode of History in Retrograde. Uh, we'd like to uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you would like to uh, support uh, our show, uh, we have links to all of our social media uh, posted in our uh, show description. Uh, so uh, reach out to us uh, on uh, Facebook and on Instagram and uh, let us know what you think. Uh, also, we have our email posted, historyandretrograde at gmail.com if you would like to uh, reach out and uh, uh, just tell us how we're doing or if you have a suggestion uh, for future shows or uh, whatever you like we'd love to hear from you uh, also uh, while i'm talking about this i'd like to uh, encourage all of you if you're listening to us on apple or on spotify please uh, rate and review the podcast um, every little bit helps us and you know this is a podcast all about stars so uh, giving us those five stars uh, will help us a lot in uh, growing the show uh, we also have links to our paypal account uh Every little bit uh, helps us there to uh, buy better equipment and continue to grow the show, expand our audience. Also, uh, we have a link there uh, if you are interested in getting a reading of your own chart. If you would like to become your own mystery history guest, um, <laughs> uh, please uh, email Chandler's Mom at historyandretrograde.com, and uh, Mom will be uh, happy to describe to you uh, how that process will work. Uh, Mom, is there anything else that you'd like to add? I just want to say thank you so much to our listeners for being there. I'm very excited about our status in Ireland. And um, if everyone would like to get a chart, then you and I could go to Ireland and we could do a live show in Ireland. And that would be fun. Right, Chandler? Yes, it would. Uh, yes, <laughs> I, I think uh, not to uh, give too much spoilers away, but I'm very interested in seeing what the uh, chart of Mr. Tato is. Uh, Mr. Tato is the uh, mascot for the Tato uh, Crisp Company. 
so uh, I think that we'll definitely need to see what he, what what's going on with him, and uh, we'll be able to snack on prawn flavored tatoes. They also have mm. cheese and onion tatoes. Um, so yes, I think a whole tato centric episode would be necessary uh, for uh, an Irish uh, history and retro game. That sounds fun. Uh, well, uh, yes, uh, again, uh, thank you all so much for listening. As always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you sharing the show, and I look forward to getting emails from you in my email. So we will hear from you soon. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.